Great, thanks, Daniel. Let's um, remain in Genesis 21 and Genesis 22. Keep your Bibles open there. You'll also find a green sheet on your tables, which might be of uh, some use to you, uh, just to follow the pattern of where we're heading. You'll notice there's three headings there. Uh, the first one, our God who keeps promises. Our test in proving faith is the second. And our God who always provides. And that first word, our, our God, or our test, and then our God, uh, is something that we're going to have a look at because we believe uh, here that the God of the Bible is the God of Magdalene Road Church. He's the God who created me and is the God who sent Jesus to die for me. This is our God, both collectively and individually tonight. And if he is our God, then it is right, and it surely must be good for us to respond to him in a right way. Our God calls us to live our lives in response to him. And that is what we're going to have a look at uh, through this uh, final story of Abraham. Good news, this is where Abraham is painted in a good light tonight. So you might have gone through uh, the stories of Abraham and thought, oh, this boy's a bit faithless, um, as we've commented upon. But tonight, it ends quite well for Abraham. And indeed, remember, um, right at the beginning of Genesis, we have chapters uh, 1 and 2 of God who creates the world. Um, Genesis chapter 3, man who rejects God's rule and cursed. Cursed is man, cursed is the ground in which he works upon. And how is God going to solve his the problem of rebellious mankind? We come to Genesis 12 onwards and we see it is through this man, Abraham, in whom he makes some great promises to him. And Abraham, in return, in his faithlessness, but also in his faith, responding in a right way. There's a quick question around the tables, maybe just for a couple of minutes as we try and understand promises. Um, I just thought it would be good, although we've had some time around our tables, to um, get together and work out promises. What are promises all about? Can you remember the last time you or someone broke a promise? How did it make uh, and if you don't like to chat on that level, um, <coughs> not, let's go to question two. Uh, quickly have a look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. What are the main promises that God makes to Abraham? So as a table, you go wherever you want to go in this. If you want to talk quite openly, actually, about promises, uh, go for question one. If you want to uh, dip into what the Bible uh, says about God promising uh, to Abraham. Uh, go to question two. But we're going to be really quick, just three minutes um, on this one. So let's go before we move on. Promises, promises that were broken. Uh, you talked about hurt, you talked about uh, frustration, you talked about maybe falling out with the other party. You see, in a world where we are fed so many false promises, where promises are broken all the time, it is so hard to believe or trust in a God who will always keep his promises. It is so hard for us, in the world that we live in, in the context we're in, the culture we're in at the moment, politics and sport, 
The promises that are thrown out, we just don't believe people anymore. And so to come across Genesis chapter 21 and understand that this is all about God. These first few verses are to help us understand a God who keeps his promises is just hard. It's a hard thing for us to get over. Have a look in verse 1 and verse 2 with me. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. See, we have to start with God. May this be a great reminder for us that every story in the Bible is about God. This story is not about Abraham. It is about God who keeps his promises. It reminds me of the very first question I was pushed to ask when coming to my Bible when I was at Bible college. What does this tell me about God? It was a real eye-opener to me. I thought the Bible was there for me. I thought the Bible was there for me to understand me. For me to understand almost what God had done for me. But no, the first question is for me to ask, what does this tell me about God? And in Genesis 21, we understand God is a God who keeps his promises. I've still got a nasty habit of jumping way too quickly to me when I come to the Bible. This is about God. You see, it is God who is gracious to Sarah. In Genesis 17, verse 17, we read this. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And in Genesis 18, verse 11 and 12, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed at herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah is past her time to give birth. This is a gracious act of God. It is one that happens naturally, but one that is, of course, directed by the sovereign hand of God. Sarah laughs in the face of God. Genesis 18, verse 12. Let's read that again. So Sarah laughed at herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? She didn't believe this could possibly be true. That is why it is so gracious. It is why God is so gracious. As he had said he would be. He's a God who keeps his promises. Sarah and Abraham, as we've already heard and discussed, they don't deserve to be recipients of this good act from God. It's a gracious thing. Sarah mocks God. Abraham doubts God, as we've seen. Sarah laughs at him, fails to take him at his word. But he is the promise keeper. And Sarah then becomes pregnant. She bears a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God 
had promised him. Three times in the first two verses we see a God who keeps his promises. When God promises, he will deliver. There's one thing we take away tonight. It's that of God. If God promises, he will deliver. He will not fail. He cannot fail. God never feeds man with empty promises. And on our table, as Daniel's already mentioned, we spent a moment thinking about the length of this promise. Because in Genesis 12, verse 4, we see when the promise was first made to Abraham, that he was 75 years old. Let's just go there. Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abraham left, Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And that is just after God made those promises. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So we know this 75 years old when God first promises this to Abraham. Which makes Sarah 75. Because in Genesis 17 verse 17, Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 when she gives birth to Isaac. In the maths, that's 25 years of promise and no fulfilment. But the point is, God never feeds man with empty promises. So, how are we to respond? How did Sarah and Abraham respond to these promises? Well, when Isaac was born, we see Sarah 21, verse 6. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. How does she respond to this promise? When it is fulfilled, what is Sarah's reaction? It's funny that the writer Moses, he perhaps draws us back to the time when Sarah laughed in the face of God. But now we have Sarah laughing and the word here is rejoicing it's celebrating and rejoicing unto God what does Sarah rejoice in the fact that she has a baby yes but a little bit more I suspect she rejoices that God has kept his promise and she throws it out to everyone else everyone who hears about this will laugh with me will rejoice with me This is a great thing. God has given me a son. But most of all, God has kept his promise 25 years later. Who would have said this to Abraham? A bit of irony in there. A little chuckle to Sarah. Who would have said that Abraham would give birth to a son in his old age? How do you respond to God's promises? Are you rejoicing in the God who keeps his promise? Regardless of your situation. Regardless, perhaps, of the grim situation of life you're in. Are you rejoicing in God who keeps his promises? Let's then skip uh, the bit that we missed out and jump to Genesis 22. It's like a sandwich. God... Hems us in. God hems us in with his promise.
promises, his faithfulness, and he also enters in with his provision. And we get, in this middle section here, our test in proving faith. This is Abraham as he's put to the test. Will Abraham last the course? Will Abraham be faithful? And let's go Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of those mountains I will tell you about. 25 years to wait on the promise that God will provide and turn Abraham into a great nation. A promise that he will have a son, born to him by his wife Sarah. 25 years of wait and then bam, verse 2. What a huge kick in the teeth this must be. Oh, we've got the privilege of reading this and looking at it back when it was. But can you imagine Abraham at this moment in time? Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Imagine the confusion. Imagine the state of him and we don't even get the reaction of Sarah in any of this. Sarah who laughed in the face of God and then rejoiced with God and now Abraham was taking their son, their only son Isaac on a holiday and never to return. How would you respond? Would now you respond with that joy we talked about a few minutes ago? Well, how does Abraham respond? Verse 3, early the next morning. Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took, with, he, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. What a weird command this is. Abraham simply moves in obedience. He's not a young Christian. Abraham has been asked by God to do many strange things in the past. If you've been here and followed the series. This isn't something out of the blue almost. It's almost expected. See what he does? He moves in obedience. Early the next morning even. And he cuts enough wood. He's prepared to move obediently in whatever way God will ask him to move. See, I'm quick to say I hold to the Bible. I'm very quick to say, listen, this is my guidance, it's my life source, I believe that the Spirit works through the teaching of God's Word. I'm very quick to say that. But to believe in God's Word is to trust in God's Word and to act upon God's Word. If you scrutinise my life, you've seen me quick to say, hey, trust it, believe it. But perhaps quite a lot slower to move on it. To move in reaction to the promises of God, whatever my situation, whatever my circumstances. Let's go on. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up 
and saw the place in the distance. This is a trek on the third day. This isn't just a little wonder hole, we'll get this over and done within a, a couple of hours or an afternoon. On the third day, plenty of time to, for Abraham to go out. Plenty of time for him to take the other path, the easy path. Plenty of time for him to return home. But he's steadfast in obedience to God. Verse 5, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. It's here he parts company with servants. He goes on with the boy alone, his only son, father and son, they head on. But he tells his servants that he'll be back. And not just he'll be back, but will be back. What's going on here? Does Abraham tell a blatant lie? What's happening? Well, I think the New Testament gives us good understanding into this verse. In Hebrews 11 verse 19, it said this, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see, Abraham did not know the outcome of that day in its detail. He didn't know the event as it would unfold. He didn't know. But he did trust in the promises of God that through his son Isaac, God would make him a great nation. He trusted in God on that promise. Abraham thought he was to kill his own son. But he must have trusted that God would then bring him back to life. He trusted in the wholeness of God's promise. He didn't know the detail of it. That moment, I have to ask myself, can I be as bold as Abraham? Abraham was bold enough to say to himself, we'll both be back. Am I as bold? I can be. I can believe it even though life is pretty great. Faith is trusting that the Lord will work things out even in the face of hardship. To believe that God's promise is better to remain single, perhaps, than to be married to an unbeliever. Real faith is trusting in God when everything else says the opposite. To believe that God's promise is better than to find sexual fulfilment on the internet or TV. Real faith is trusting in God when everything else says the opposite. To believe that God's promise is better than to lie to a friend, a colleague or an employer. Real faith is trusting in God when everything else says the opposite. James 2.14, what good is it to have faith but no actions? See, faith that doesn't have obedience at the centre is not faith. Faith is more than saying the right things. It's more than holding up God's word and saying, yeah, yeah, I trust it. It is putting your trust in it. It is acting upon it. Abraham, in these verses, has great faith. He trusts that they'll both be back because of the promises that God has made. Verses 9 and 10. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar 
on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And here we get the picture that real faith is trusting God at his word amidst tears of real pain and hurt. The reality of Abraham holding the knife above his son is what God has commanded. I'm here to be obedient. I trust in God and his promise. I trust that through me and through Isaac, he'll make me a great nation. But here it is in its physical nature of a knife and a son on an altar and he's about to kill. It's tears, no doubt. But he's going to follow it through because he trusts in God. Real faith is trusting God in his word amidst tears of real pain. And that often involves family members. Forgive me for trying to bridge the context slightly and saying, what pain is there for us with family members? Those that don't know Jesus. Real faith is trusting in God amidst those tears of family members that don't yet know him. So how are you trusting in God? Are you saying you believe and then life is looking very different? Or are you acting upon the promises of God? And at this point I wrote down a load of promises of God to remind myself of who God is, of what it means to follow God who promises. And there's some pretty decent promises in the Bible. And let me remind you of one or two. Psalm 23, verse 6. Our God pursues us with goodness and love all of our debts. It's promise. Romans 8, verse 32. Our God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Will he not graciously give us all things? Philippians 4, 19. Our God will supply every need of ours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. Hebrews 13 verse 5 and 6 Our God will never leave us nor forsake us so we can confidently say our Lord is our helper I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It's a promise. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 Our God who has all authority in heaven and on earth he will be with us to the very end of the age. It's a promise. Act upon it. Live by it. Romans 8 verse 28 Our God always works for the good of those who love Him. It is a promise. Our God always works for the good of those who love Him no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation. Do you know the promise of God? Do you believe the promises of God? Are you acting on the promises of God? Whatever your circumstance is today. You see, we see Abraham. And his test was to prove that he had faith. What about ours? What does that look like for you tomorrow? Proving, not just on Sunday, that you have faith tomorrow. For the rubber really hits the road. And let's go uh, for our last little section. Our God who always provides. Verse 11 to 13. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, 
Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you feared God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He's about to kill his own son. And God is moved by his faithfulness. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then in the verse 13, we see that a substitute is provided. Verse 13 and 14, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And here there are so many echoes of this in the New Testament. An illustration of what Jesus did for us. Looking at verse 2 of 22 and verse 13, we have this idea of the burnt offering. Abraham knew he was going to the mountain to offer a burnt offering. And the ram here is referred to as that burnt offering. But if we understand the role of the burnt offering, Leviticus 1 verse 4 is helpful in this. He is to lay his hand, that is the priest, lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. The burnt offering was to make atonement for the sinner. It was to pacify God's anger. The burnt offering was to, to soothe God's anger so that the person and the God are at one together. Hebrews 10 verse 3 and 4 helps us understand that the burnt offering does not take away sins though. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins. Burnt offering was to pacify God's anger for the time. But it could never take away the issue of sin. It could never take away sins from the individual. The burnt offering of a lamb is never a substitute that of a human being. And so we see the burnt offering here as a shadow of the sacrifice that is made for all people for all eternity. Instead of Isaac, it was a ram. Horrible business. As Abraham plunged his knife into the ram. Look like for you and I now. Why don't we have to make those sacrifices? Because it is the Lord who provides. It is the Lord who provided Jesus. And Jesus is the one to take away the sin of the world. Take away my sin. And so we just have a little echo of what happens in the New Testament. We get a foresight of what is going on. And it's a shadow, of course. It's the great sacrifice of Jesus. And those words in verse 2 of 22. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Romans 8 verse 3. For what the Lord's powers to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. God the Father did. His own son sent him as an offering in my place. Abraham and Isaac, a shadow 
God the Father, God the Son, the reality. And yet the difference was, Jesus went to the cross. God did not withhold him. God did not pull him back. Why did Jesus go to the cross? For you and for me. Again, there's something of a reflection of the cross here. The silence of Isaac. He does not complain. Isaac does not struggle. Yet he is old enough to ask questions. You see in verse 7 and 8, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, Isaac asks his dad. And Abraham replies, God will provide. And we don't hear another word from Isaac. Isaac doesn't say one more thing. This is almost as if he was a willing sacrifice. And we see Jesus went ever so willingly, without a struggle. Remember the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. The lamb led to the slaughter. Quite quietly, quite happily, for you and for me. And then look at the location of this sacrifice. God will provide. In verse 2, he said, go to the region of Moriah. And in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 2, we understand this. Then Solomon began to build his temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. You see, Mount Moriah is known as Jerusalem. And where did Jesus die at death that I should have? On a small mount, just outside the city walls of Jerusalem, Perhaps even the exact fact. It's a brilliant shadow of what happened in the New Testament. And one commentator in the book of Genesis that I've been reading in his very conservative constitution, he leaves it behind for a moment and lets loose. And he claims, do you see the reflections in the story of Abraham and Isaac, God the Father and God the Son? commentator goes on says doesn't that just want you to stop everything and exclaim hooray for Jesus <laughs> very conservative <laughs> and he goes on and so I will hooray for Jesus doesn't that make your heart skip a beat as we read about Abraham and in the New Testament we are able to see Jesus the one who is this the one who completes it all for us. You see, the Lord will provide, and the Lord provided for Abraham, and the Lord has provided for us. He has done so in Jesus. And just as we conclude then, look at verse 7, 15 to Abraham. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Look at the two becauses 
First of all, in verse 15, I swear, sorry, verse 16, swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and then in verse 18, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the last real event recorded by Abraham. See, what do we learn from Abraham as we close the chapter on him? Obedience over a lifetime. Faith is not just a decisive moment saying, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus and remember that day when you did it. Faith is a marathon, not a sprint. It's not a one-time decision as we've learned through the story of Abraham. It's continuous. That program I was made to watch by my father on a Sunday evening, Mastermind. The best bit of Mastermind was when that buzzer went off <laughs> and Magnus Magnuson came on and said, I've started and so I'll finish. And that's it. That's faith. I've started and so I will finish. And we see it those two because God blesses him and God keeps his promises. Because Abraham is obedient. Don't pin your hopes on a single moment of profession. Abraham didn't waver in his belief in this story. He's still trusting in God's promises. And God's promises are fulfilled because Abraham believes in them. You get that. If we don't believe the promise... We don't receive the promise. The promise is fulfilled through our believing, through Abraham's trusting and obedience. He heard the promise and believed it. That's what proves his faith. He heard the promise and he believed it and he acted upon it. It's what proves his faith. So you and I, will we? Will we simply believe, trust and act upon the promises of God? If life is good, we rejoice to serve it. Thanks God. Thank you. Thank you that I can trust in you every single day. Or if life is tough, Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a promise. But how is the promise received? Trusting it. And being obedient unto it. Moving in action. Faith. It's being obedient to God's word. Not just listening to it. Not just saying, oh yeah, believe this. It's true. It's believing, it's trusting. And then it's putting it into action. And I, for one, am challenged very much, day by day, to do just that. Because it's a struggle. Moment by moment, flinging myself on the promises of God and saying, Lord, have your way in me. It may be no more I, but Christ that lives in me. Help. Trust that God will bring about what He started to completion.
Let me pray. But Father, thank you for this story of Abraham. Thank you for the small reflection gives of the cross. Thank you that you are the God who completely fulfills promises. Thank you that you are the God who always provides and has provided through the cross. Has made me right with you. I thank you, Lord, that you've also transformed my heart, our hearts in here, if we believe. You've transformed them so that we may fight sin, be obedient unto you, trust in your word. And we recognise the struggle that that is, Lord. We know that there's a battle every day. But we want you to be Lord. We want to be obedient to you. We desire to live by those promises and hold to them and trust in them. But we recognise the journey's tough. Lord, please extend our faith in you and your promises. For may we be confident that if you are for us, you can be against us. But what you have started, you will bring about to completion in that final day. Lord, help us to trust you more, and to live obediently to you with real joy. The joy that comes from a heart that is overflowing with happiness. And we ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen.